he didn't see that this was gonna happen. Like, like let's get fucking real. I don't care who they had playing quarterback. I don't care if it was Ronald McDonald or Grimace. Obviously, the Jets aren't in it, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you mean the 0-9 Jets are not in contention? <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Slightly Sideways Podcast, Episode 16. I'm your host, Koenig, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Corbin. Say hello to the people, Corbin. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that everybody out there had a fun and safe Thanksgiving. Here on Slightly Sideways, you all know that we like to have some drinks, have a good time. Here on my end this week, I have, in a University of Colorado Buffalo's glass, I have... Coors Lights. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I'd put the cold, rude water of the Rockies into the Colorado Buffs glass. So I'll give you my review on the Coors Light, which is, you know, a pretty popular light beer if you've never had it. Koenig, what do you have in your sink over there? So we had to clean out the fridge after the Thanksgiving holiday. Like Corbin said, hope everybody had a very nice Thanksgiving holiday. And so I'm going with a repeat. It was so nice. We had it twice in a (laughs) ska brewing glass out of Durango, Colorado. I'm going with the Trader Joe's Simpler Times Lager. Hey. Out of Monroe, Wisconsin. So this will be the second time running with Simpler Times. Gave it a pretty good score on the last episode of the show that we had it. And... I really enjoyed it the last time I had this beer, so figured I'd give it another shot. You can't go wrong with something from Wisconsin. My mom's from Wisconsin. I have family that still lives in Wisconsin, so I have a soft spot for Wisconsin. Fair enough. (laughs) But before we get into tonight's show, if you aren't already, give us a follow on Twitter at SlightlySideWay. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can email your thoughts to slightlysidewayspod at gmail.com. If you're on Spotify, you can follow our show at Slightly Sideways Podcast. And for our YouTube scene, you can find our show at Slightly Sideways Podcast. If you enjoy tonight's show, please consider leaving a like on the video. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can find those on the channel as well. And do be sure to subscribe to the channel so you don't miss any new episodes as they are released. On tonight's show... We have the beginning of the college basketball season. We have the latest news and notes of the college football season. What else do we have on tonight's show, Corbin? We'll also keep everybody updated on the NFL season as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. Sheffield United has played yet another match. Well, a couple matches, actually. And everybody's favorite segment, the unknown. This week, Koenig will be in charge of the unknown, so you'll want to stick around to the end of the show to see what that crazy bastard comes up with. (laughs) (laughs) Moving into our first topic, we'll jump right in. College basketball has just started up here this last week. We've already seen a couple teams have already played a few games here. Just to kind of give you an idea of who's rounding out top five preseason for college basketball, you've got the Gonzaga Bulldogs out of Spokane, Washington at the number one spot, followed behind by the Baylor Bears, as well as Villanova, Virginia, and the Iowa Hawkeyes. So they're rounding out the top five. Of course, that'll change like crazy. You know, college basketball, a team loses, team wins. Those standings shift around so much, it's pretty much impossible to predict what it's going to look like at the end of the year. There, Like I said, there have been some games that have been played so far. Koenig, are there any teams that 
you've seen plays so far that you're, you kind of have your eye on as far as, you know, if we were to have a March Madness that you could see a team, you know, make a run or go for a title? I'll save my personal best for last. I want to start off with the latest news earlier today out of the Homelight Classic. Earlier this afternoon, you had the University of San Francisco, the Dons, yeah. knocking off fourth-ranked Virginia. And believe it or not, this is USF's first win over an AP-ranked top-five team in 39 years. Wow. Which is crazy. Their first one since 1981, where they knocked off second-ranked Wichita State. So a huge upset to start off the year. I think as the year goes on, you know, we saw a lot of this in college football. Well, we see more of it in college basketball where, you know, the players don't have that crowd to keep them going, to fire them up when they get down to kind of turn the tide, to turn the momentum. You know, we saw a lot of upsets in college football and it makes you wonder, will we see more of that in basketball? Yeah, and, and before I, I want to comment on the, the, the San Francisco game, it was actually a game that San Francisco went on an 8-0 run at the end of the game to end up winning by a point. Virginia had a last-second shot that they could have potentially won the game, and obviously they missed it, but really cool. I think it's one of the beauties about college basketball especially is you do see these underdogs that they just get hot in the game. They just make shots that maybe they wouldn't consistently make, and I think it's, it's kind of the beauty of college basketball. and You fall more in love with it when you get into March Madness, when you see these really high-seeded, really well-known teams lose to these lower mid-major teams. I have a trivia question for you Uh-oh. as far as University of San Francisco. Who is the most famous men's player to come out of the University of San Francisco? Oh, jeez. I'll give you a hint. As a Celtics fan... You should probably know this. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And we use the term fan very loosely because I don't follow the NBA very much anymore. I'm going to give you like five seconds. I don't want to hold up on this. I just thought it'd be a cool yeah, point yeah. to go, mention. Go ahead and help me out. What, what do you got? A Mr. Bill Russell, oh, one of the all-time greatest NBA players. Bill Russell was a player for San Francisco. So kind of cool. I did want to add, so I think a team that's always interesting every year that's always seems to be in the top 10 is Gonzaga. And this is a team that they don't play in the toughest conference. They usually play a pretty tougher non-conference, which is what I respect about Gonzaga because they kind of need that to kind of get notoriety you know, nationwide. First game of the season, they play number six, Kansas. They beat Kansas by double digits by 12 points. It's a team that a lot of people are really hyped on that could finally get it done, that, that this team could win the title this year. Interested to see where Gonzaga goes. A team that I had mentioned previously in the top five, Virginia, like we mentioned, they have already lost. So they're going to be falling out. Kansas at six has already lost. So already we're seeing the shifting in the top 25. As far as like a sleeper out there, again, this is a very small sample size, right? Like there's some teams that really haven't played a game yet. It's really hard to predict anything right now because teams are just barely playing new opponents. They're getting new looks rather than looks that they see in practice. Koenig, what's a team that... Even if they're ranked, maybe it's a team that like is farther back in the rankings that you think can really make a push and really make a move going forward. Yeah, so I'm a little bit biased, but I'll go ahead and jump at an opportunity to mention the Aztecs. Oh, here it comes. Yeah. <laughs> the Aztecs for San Diego State, they don't get much respect, but I guess the big story in the first quote-unquote upset of the season, San Diego State takes down UCLA, the 22nd ranked team then, at Viejas Arena in San Diego. 
And I wasn't necessarily surprised by the outcome. I personally think that preseason rankings and where teams are seated in the preseason really is subjective. It doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. There's no rhyme or reason to it. You have San Diego State that's coming off of a 30-2 and two season. Most bracketologists had them as a two seed in the tournament that never was. And then you have UCLA with Mick Cronin, their head coach. I think he won Coach of the Year last year for the conference. They're coming off a 19-12 and 12 season. Granted, they have a lot of key returning players. They added the transfer from Kentucky, Johnny Juzang, that people are really excited about. They didn't play in that game. Jalen Hill didn't play. Johnny Juzang didn't play either. Some people want to make excuses for that's why UCLA didn't win. But for anybody who watched the game, I watched the game, of course, from beginning to end. Uh, San Diego State was very much in control of that game. And this is a team who lost a lot of key pieces. So maybe that's part of it, right? They go and they have their best season in program history. And then you lose Malachi Flynn, who gets drafted 29th overall to the Toronto Raptors. KJ Fagan graduates. Yanni Wetzel graduates. And those are three real big pieces for San Diego State's success last year. But have Matt Mitchell back, and he's playing a different role this year. He's playing more of the three than the four like he did last year. You know, Jordan Shackle is back. We added a transfer from Northridge, Terrell Gomez, who looks really good in that first game. And so as a team who's made success for themselves over the last several seasons, you can even date back all the way to the Kawhi era in 2011. The Aztecs have kind of cemented themselves as a team nationally that should be in the discussion every single year for top 25. They've built a program where maybe they aren't necessarily always deserving of a top 25 spot, but you look at other teams around the college basketball scene who are seated in the top 25 just because of their history, their success as a program. And I think it's fair to say that the Aztecs, and granted, take it with a grain of salt, I'm an Aztec grad, I think the Aztecs have shown, especially over the last eight, nine, ten seasons, that they are one of the best programs on the West Coast, for sure. That's a good point, for sure. I think UCLA, credit to the Aztecs for pretty much putting the whooping on UCLA, but you know, UCLA today had to win in triple overtime against Pepperdine, so not that... San Diego State is a world beater. They are a good team, but I think UCLA is maybe not as good as we thought they were. I think that you'll see in the next ranking that San Diego State will be close to the top 25. I think if they get in, they'll be like 24 or they'll be 25. That's a team, though, that if they can get through their non-conference and then just chug away at their conference play and dominate like they usually do, I mean, they'll have no issues with staying in the top 25 or getting a really decent, favorable seed in the tournament if yeah. we have a tournament. And it's an interesting discussion with the Aztecs because everyone always says, well, you know, you play in a conference like the Mountain West, it's not very good. Why are you not scheduling anybody in the non-conference? You know why the Blue Bloods don't want to play San Diego State? Because they know the Aztecs don't get the credit nationally that they deserve. And the programs that are consistently in the top 25 understand that it's a very high-risk, low-reward situation to schedule a home-and-home with the Aztecs. Because if you win the games, you're supposed to win the games. And if you lose, the conversation is less about giving the Aztecs credit and for the Aztecs being a solid team than it is to say, oh, that's such a terrible loss. Oh, that's going to be terrible for their RPI. You've had seasons in the past where we had a home-and-home with Kansas and we went into Allen Foghouse and beat Kansas. 
You had a home and home with Gonzaga, and we split with Gonzaga. We won in San Diego, we lost in Spokane. It makes you wonder how a team like Gonzaga cemented themselves to the point where they can schedule these tough teams in the top 10 every single year. I think hopefully we're getting closer and closer to pushing that bar to where San Diego State can do more of that and get more respect nationally. Unfortunately, I wish we would have had an opportunity to do that in a tournament last year, but fortunately it wasn't meant to be. And I completely agree. And for the exact reason that you mentioned, San Diego State is between a rock and a hard place because they want to play those tougher teams, but those tougher teams don't want to play them. Because exactly like you said, those big teams have everything to lose and not a whole lot to gain. For those big blue bloods, the expectation is that they would beat San Diego State. That's not an easy game, right? That's a game that they know if SDSU comes to play or they have a bad night that they're going to lose. Unfortunately, I think for that, they're going to have to transform their program into something like a Gonzaga for teams to be like, somehow Gonzaga can pull it off, right? Like teams know that Gonzaga is always a top tier program, and yet they can always schedule these big games. Albeit big games are usually in the first four games of the season, which are usually tournaments, right? You know, they're like four or eight team tournaments and, you know, they play each other and those tournaments pay these schools tons of money to come in and play the best of the best. And then usually after that, you kind of get your chumps before you get into conference play. But still, that's one knock that ASU basketball had had forever is they have a 20-win season and then they'd be like, oh, we deserve to be in the tournament. And you'd look at their non-conference schedule and they played like McNeese State from like Louisiana. (laughs) And you're like, no, we're not going to give you credit for 10 wins against a bunch of North Texas and these crappy teams. I do want to say this real quick, and we can move on to the to the college football segment, because I had asked you kind of who your sleeper was. Honestly, there's not really been any team that's jumped out to me as, oh, look out for this team, or, oh, this team is as dominant as I thought they were. Maybe Gonzaga, because they beat Kansas. They beat them pretty convincingly, which kudos to Gonzaga. I do think a really big player to look out for is the center from Iowa, the Luca Garza. Garza yeah. The guy... Albeit it's been two games this season and it's been against some crappy teams, but the guy can pretty much average 30 points a game, 10, 15 rebounds. He's pretty much going to carry that Iowa team, which is ranked number five. And the only reason that they're ranked number five is because he is on the team. Probably. So it'll be interesting to see how they can stack up with the rest of the big 10. The big 10 is stacked as always, you know, you've got Wisconsin, Illinois is supposed to be really good this year. Michigan state's always really, really tough. Ohio State's supposed to be decent. Michigan's supposed to be decent. So we'll we'll see how it all shakes up. I'm more interested for when we get to conference play, honestly, unless there's a really big matchup that happens in between now and then. Yeah, it's kind of nice having college basketball back right now. Kanan, do you have anything to add on the basketball segment? I just want to add one more thing before we move on. This first week of the college basketball scene highlighted by so many upsets. I'd be remiss mentioned one more notable upset from this first week the montana state bobcats of the big sky <laughs> conference going into las vegas to take on the unlv running rebels <laughs> and montana state comes away with the win convincingly 91 to 78 yeah you yeah, love UNLV to see that is usually really tough and especially at unlv that's tough again there's not fans but it's still a tough place to go on the road and win yeah and for a big sky team to do that and score 91 points that's a load of points as a san diego state fan you just love to see that unlv losing i mean it doesn't get much better than that i was really hoping because pretty much every year it seems like nau 
schedules U of A to play basketball. Of course, that game got canceled due to COVID. I was really hoping for an NAU game, and I always just hold out a miracle of hope that (laughs) NAU will someday beat U of A in basketball. (laughs) One of these days, it's going to happen. We will have more news from the college basketball scene as the season continues. We do want to move into our college football segment. And the big story today out of college football, Ohio State head coach Ryan Day testing positive. My first instinct on this whole situation was the head coach for Ohio State will not be traveling with the team for their next game. It makes you kind of think about if there are any outbreaks on a team that's in the college football playoff currently and Ohio State is right they're currently in the college football playoff if there have to be any canceled games or anything like that what are some potential possibilities of Ohio State possibly falling out of the college football playoff if they have to cancel any of their games Corbin what do you think about that I think it's a very serious thing that could definitely happen I think that's going to be a rule that's going to be in place It's going to be interesting because, you know, there's not going to be all the 47 bowl games that there are every offseason, right? There's really only going to be the college football play-in games, it sounds like. Right. So, and those games are usually played about like a month after the season ends, right? So I think what you're going to see is you're going to have your final four. Ohio State is currently four. And honestly, I think they would be higher if they had played more games, but they've only played four games and the teams above them have played a considerable amount more, but say they get in. I think there's going to be a stipulation that the NCAA is going to say to those top four and maybe even teams five through eight and say, okay, look, this is the situation. You've got X amount of time between the end of your season and when we're going to play these play-in games for to see who the national champion is. If within whatever time frame, if there's outbreaks and we deem it not safe for you to play, we're going to call on the next team up, right? The Texas A&Ms of the world, the Floridas of the world. I think that's what they're going to have to do. Honestly, if you can't stay safe within that time period, because again, it should be, let me correct myself, because normally it's a month after the season, but the season's been delayed and pushed back. So I don't really know when these games are supposed to be to be scheduled to, to be truthful. But you have to imagine that they're going to be at least a couple weeks after the end of the season, right? They usually give these big-time bowl games, they give the players extended practice time, preparation. So I would imagine it would still be two or three weeks after the season ends. I think it's going to be a very real thing, and I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to go to these teams that are five, six, seven, eight, and say, hey, look, if any of these four or freaking all four of them can't stay safe and they can't do this, like the show must go on, right? That's what they'll have to do. Yeah, it's an interesting situation because we don't really know how much the outbreak has impacted Ohio State. Well, the only thing that was in the news today was the head coach, Ryan Day, testing positive. Who knows if that is going to trickle down to other coaches, other players on the program. And if they have to start canceling games, if they had to end the season on only four games and you had teams below them, A&M and Florida, like you were saying, who played considerably more games and they went undefeated, would that somehow leap Ohio State just because of the fact that they're not playing, potentially? Oh, 100%. Say Ohio State doesn't play another game the rest of the season and they're 4-0, and you've got a team like a Texas A&M, say Texas A&M finishes 9-1. You absolutely put the Texas A&M team over the Ohio State. And I understand, oh, well, Ohio State didn't lose. Yeah, well, they also played less than half the games than Texas A&M did. Texas A&M played in the SEC. Not that the Big Ten's a slouch. I think you got to reward 
the teams that are playing the full schedule. And that's another thing, too, is I think for the Big Ten, you have to play a certain amount of games in order to even qualify for the Big Ten championship. They might be at risk for not even being able to play in the Big Ten championship with the amount of games that they've played so far. <laughs> it's going to be really, I mean, we'll see. You, you said, oh, the head coach got it. We don't know if they he got it from the fucking players and the staff. Like, where else is he getting it from? Like, let's get real. Like, these college coaches practically live at these facilities. Like, they go home to sleep, they wake up, and they're 18 hours back at these schools, these facilities, around these players, these personnel. So there's other people within the program that have it. And I wouldn't be surprised if you just start seeing this snowball effect of more and more players and personnel at, at Ohio State testing positive. Yeah, it really seems unavoidable. I think I saw something in the news earlier this week that Saban is testing positive again at again, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, Second I, time. Now, I will say this. You hear these people are getting pissed positive for this. It's to be expected. You're hanging around a team of 70 people. If one person accidentally gets it, that could easily affect everybody. Right. You play a contact sport. Is it in the NFL now that they're requiring face masks to play, like face shields to play? It was either the NFL or a conference in college football that was mandating actual like safety precautions. Now, after the fact, <laughs> you're not using this stuff in practice. And some of these practices, they don't have pads on, right? They don't have a helmet on. They're just in shorts and t-shirts and they're you know, so light contact. Like, you know, you hear Saban getting it twice and it's just, yeah, you know, it's, it's easy to ridicule him. But shit, dude, this guy's around like 100 people constantly. Right. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, exactly. But we'll have to see how that whole situation plays out. I'm sure we'll have more college football news in the coming weeks to come. One last story out of the college football scene for this week, a little bit controversial, is coming out of BYU, Brigham Young University. <laughs> and... Their whole mantra this season, BYU, has been anytime, anyone, anywhere, except, apparently, in a scenario where they may risk their undefeated season. So BYU had a situation earlier this week, or maybe it was the end of last week, where they had an opportunity to play the Washington Huskies up here in Seattle. Plans ended up falling through on BYU's end. I think there's talks at one point that BYU came out and said, we just kind of want to see what happens in the college football rankings. We don't want to go. And so essentially that... we want to see if teams lose that way. We don't have to play this game to prove anything. <laughs> exactly. So, and that's exactly what Corbin said. You had a lot of people then speculating and saying, well, hold on. They don't want to risk their undefeated season. And you look at the schedule they've played. The hardest team that they've played was, I think, Army. And they were like 22nd at the time. Uh, Boise State, I think, was because Boise State was ranked like 25, I think, when they played oh, you're, them. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And they don't have any good games left on their schedule. I mean, San Diego State is probably the best team left on their schedule, and they're not ranked either. This was a real opportunity for BYU to prove themselves, to prove why they belong, instead of just hoping the teams in front of you lose and that you just sneak in. This is kind of their opportunity to play a power five opponent and prove that they are worthy of that top spot. And they completely ducked Washington. The plans fell through at the last minute. They ended up not playing them. This was, like I said, this was an opportunity game for them. This is a chance to prove that they deserve to be in the discussion for the college football playoff. And they decided not to go through with it. And they paid the huge price for it in the rankings this week. They dropped all the way to 14. And if you're looking at BYU now at 14th and still undefeated, I feel like there's just not enough opportunity games left on their schedule to move back into that discussion. 
Fuck BYU. So here's this is the same reason why I hate Notre Dame. So BYU is an independent school. So essentially they pick their schedule more or less, right? They pretty much go out and handpick, oh yeah, oh yeah, we'll play this team because we can beat them. Like, oh yeah, we'll play this team because we can beat them. And their schedule sucks. They played an FCS school last week in North Alabama. What the fuck is North Alabama? And BYU smokes them as they should, you know, 66 to 14. Like Koenig mentioned, their schedule sucks. They played Texas San Antonio, Texas State, Western Kentucky, Troy, Louisiana Tech. You're playing a bunch of bums. Their, their whole argument is, oh, we're, we're undefeated. We're winning these games. Yeah, you know what? Probably the top 50 teams in the country could all smoke those teams, right? You haven't played anybody good. Like Koenig mentioned, it's just their motto is, yeah, any team, any time. And it's Washington came knocking and was, okay, let's play. We'll go there. You come here. Let's just make this game happen. Oh, I, I don't know. Washington. I don't know about that, right? Like they maybe if they were already technically out of the college football picture, then they would have maybe picked, if they had like one loss already, then maybe they would be like, okay, let's play Washington for the experience. Clearly not playing Washington knowing and you know what it is, too, is when you play bad teams, it really doesn't help you develop, right? Because you could still play poorly but have enough talent to win a game, but you could still have bad technique and not play well and still win if you have the talent to do so. And I think BYU realizes that, yeah, we've been beating these teams. These teams aren't good. And the second that we play a good team, that could be catastrophic for us. Right. And... Fuck them. I love what the college football committee did. They took them from 8 to 14. They dropped six spots, even <sighs> after winning. I mean, again, they played a chump in North Alabama, 66 to 14. Normally, you drop six spots when you lose and when you lose <laughs> bad. So essentially, the college football committee is just saying, you know what, BYU? Like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> the schedule that you picked to play is absolute garbage. It's trash. Yeah, okay, you're undefeated. Get the fuck out of here. Let's get real. Yeah, exactly. And I know what a lot of BYU fans are saying. Is, well, before COVID, our non-conference was really good. You know, well, non-conference, all their games are non-conference. But we had a lot of games scheduled against the Pac-12 and everything like that. But then the Pac-12 decided that they weren't going to have a non-conference season. Okay, BYU, I get that. But again, you have... Opportunity comes knocking, like Corbin says, Washington Huskies saying, hey, let's go, you and me, let's go right now. And they said, oh, I don't know about that. You should have done a better job at scheduling your games. Once so many Power 5 schools shut down their non-conference, that would have been an opportunity for BYU to schedule better. Most BYU fans will say, well, there really wasn't any opportunity to do that because so many Power 5 programs are going with this conference-only schedule. Okay, that's all well and good, but we have both said back and forth now for the last several minutes is... When that opportunity game comes available, you need to pursue it aggressively to get those opportunity games on your schedule. And they didn't do that, so fuck them. What chaps my ass off again is going to the independent school thing again. I believe the NCAA rule is that you're supposed to have four away games, but you can play up to 12 total games. So you see these independent schools like Notre Dame, like BYU, you that have eight home games and four road games and usually the road games are lesser opponents because they know okay we can beat these teams on the road not so much for BYU this year but if you look at their schedule they've played three away games they were supposed to play at Army that game got 
well, it says postponed, but I'm pretty sure that game got canceled. So they've only had to play three away games, and they've had six home games, and they're about to play their seventh home game against your San Diego State Aztecs, but they don't play for two more weeks. Yeah. So they've got two weeks to prepare for the Aztecs to play in Provo. So, you know, it's a home game for BYU. I really hope that San Diego State can find a way to not only beat them, but like smash them. That would just be so great. I would just love to see how much farther down they would drop after losing to a team. I did want to mention real quick, I know that you had that this wanted to be the final story here, but there was one really cool story that I saw right before we started the show that I think is worth noting. There's potential history that's going to be made tomorrow. It's first ever woman to play for a Power 5 football program. So to give you the story, the lovely lady's name is Sarah Fuller. She is from Vanderbilt. She was actually on the Vanderbilt soccer team. She's a goaltender for the Vanderbilt soccer team, women's team. Apparently at the beginning of the season, the Vanderbilt kicker opted out of the season for COVID purposes. The rest of, there's been a lot of special team players this week that have had to sit out for quarantine issues. So she actually tried out for the team last week as a kicker made the team. So she's going to travel with the team. She's going to dress with the team for the game. So if she plays, which it sounds like she will for Vanderbilt, she'll be the first ever female to play in a power five football game. Wow. Kind of cool. That's pretty awesome. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. So like I said, it sounds like pretty much that she's going to play. So fingers crossed that she does. Cause that'd be really cool. Yeah, for sure. And we'll keep you guys posted on everything that's happening in the college football scene as the last few weeks of the season play out how that's going to affect the college football playoff and everything like that. Stay tuned to the channel. We'll keep you posted on everything. We do want to jump into the National Football League. We have a couple weeks worth of games to recap, but I'll start with my most notable game from the most recent games that we've missed, and that would be the Los Angeles Rams going into Raymond James Stadium and beating the Buccaneers on primetime football in Week 11. Final score of that game was 27-24. to There's been so much talk around the football scene about how strong the NFC West is this year, and it is. And a lot of that talk has been about the Seahawks and the Cardinals, but the Rams have quietly been putting together this strong season themselves. They now find themselves at 7-3 and on the season. They're tied for first place in the division with the Seahawks. And watching that game is one of the few games I watched this past week from start to end because I'm following Tom Brady and how he's doing. The Rams... Yeah, my boy. But the Rams are really starting to get it together. The offense is clicking. The connection between Jared Goff and Cooper Cup. I mean, Cup went off against the Buccaneers. I think he had like 140 yards, was targeted like 15, 16, 17 times, something like that. Trivia question. Yes. Where did Cooper Cup play college football? Oh, Eastern Washington. Yeah, boy. Big Sky Conference. Big Sky Swag. (laughs) I was very surprised that the Rams played as well as they did. I felt like the defensive line for the Rams got so much pressure on Tom Brady in that game. It felt like he had no time to pass. This I don't know whether it was just Tampa's offensive line is just not very good or whether it's just Aaron Donald drawing that extra defender and that opens up more opportunities for blitzing angles and all kinds of crazy advanced gaming like that. I'm not sure. The Rams, they are definitely a team to keep your eye on going forward. Yeah, and it's going to be really, really interesting because in that division alone, like you mentioned, there's the tie atop the division between the Rams and the Seahawks, and the Cardinals are one game behind both those teams. The Cardinals and the Rams still have to play each other twice. 
Those are going to be really, really big games. Those two games could determine who wins the division. And I know the Cardinals are a game behind Seattle, so Seattle would have to stumble too. That's going to be wild to see who comes out of there. And honestly, it's not too far out of the question to say that maybe the team that comes out of the NFC West is the favorite to win the NFC. I know the Saints have been playing really good lately. The Packers are another team. Koenig mentioned about the Rams that are just kind of under the radar. The Packers are 7-3, and three and yeah. I know they're coming off a loss. They're, they're going to win the NFC North and unless they absolutely collapse, which I don't foresee that happening. Yeah, I just... I. It's hard to kind of pick a team in the NFC West there because those top three could all take it. Tampa Bay, they play really well when they don't play on primetime. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they don't play on primetime, they'll most likely win. But if they play on primetime, they'll get smoked, or at least Tom Brady will. Yeah. <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers, we'll, we'll kind of shift to the AFC real quick. Pittsburgh Steelers are 10-0. They haven't lost yet, and kudos to the Steelers. I think they're still the second best team in the AFC. We all know that I'm high on the Chiefs. It's easy to pick the Chiefs defending Super Bowl champions, but I do think they are a better team than the Steelers are. One thing that just fascinates me that I just cannot get over. I look at this like every day, four or five times a day, like it's going to change if I just magically look at it, is the fucking NFC East, the <laughs> Washington, the Washington Redskins are four and the seven. Football team. I'll repeat, yeah, the football team, the Washington football team, they are four and seven, which in a lot of instances would pretty much put you in last in your division, maybe second to last. They're in first place. They're in first place <laughs> at four and seven, followed by the three, six and one Eagles, who are technically a half game out. Actually, if they so if the Eagles win this week, they'll retake the division lead because they'd be four, six, and one. But then you got the three and seven Giants and the three and eight Cowboys. The fact that one of those teams is gonna make the playoffs, and let's face it, they're gonna make the playoffs with a losing record. And they'll probably be two, three games below five hundred minimum. Yeah. It's just oh the NFL needs to do something about that. You cannot reward teams by giving them a playoff spot for having a losing record. You just can't. I'm sorry. There needs to be a rule that says you need to be at least a 500 team or else you don't get in. There should be a third wild card spot that goes to whoever doesn't finish with the appropriate record. The fact that the Cowboys lost Dak Prescott the way that they did and that they're 3-8 and eight, and yet they're only a game out of first place is just... It's kind of like a train wreck, like Corbin said. It's You just so badly want to look away, but you can't. It's so bad, it's just incredible. And that's what the NFC East has been all year. What's going to happen this week? And the Washington football team just trounced the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. That was great to see. Because I personally... Oh, they- I hate the Cowboys. Well, was, oh, yeah. And, you know, I love to see the Cowboys lose, but I, lo- I especially love to see the Cowboys lose on Thanksgiving because they always play in Dallas on yes. Thanksgiving. So yes. to see them get smoked by Alex Smith and the Redskins, <laughs> like Alex Smith, whose leg, they, they nearly had to decapitate this guy's leg. I don't know. I guess not decapitate, but <laughs> amputate <laughs> the guy's <laughs> leg two years ago when it pretty much got snapped in half. And yeah. he's the guy that beats you is uh, crazy. The fact that he's still playing football is just incredible in and of itself. I do want to announce this real quick because it's something I'm looking at right now. Just dialing back to college football. Oregon State has just scored a touchdown late in the game. They're about to go up by three points on Oregon with 33 seconds left in the game. Wow. So it is looking 
good for the Oregon State Beavers. That's pretty much the Pac-12's Oregon was their only hope to get into the the final four for the playoff. But yeah, it's looking like the Beavs are going to win that game. And Corbin was so sure going into that game that (laughs) Corbin on Twitter just absolutely smacking on Oregon State. So uh, the Corbin curse is alive, I guess. Yeah, I did. So to kind of put that into context, so it's really, really fucking foggy in Corvallis, which is where Oregon State is. It's foggy as shit. Let's face it, the last decade, Oregon has pretty much just cock slapped Oregon State. It's usually a bloodbath. I said, oh, the fog is rolling in in Corvallis to cover up this Oregon beatdown over Oregon State. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's looking not good. But you know what? I actually want Oregon State to win. I prefer Oregon State over Oregon, so I'm, I'm glad that it backfired on me. For sure. And speaking of Thanksgiving, getting back into the NFL super quick, we did want to note the Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens scenario Ravens having experienced another outbreak of the coronavirus. Their game that was scheduled for primetime on Thanksgiving got pushed back. It was originally scheduled for Sunday. Just came out today that that game is now going to be on Tuesday night football. Which... Well, yeah, well, yeah. It was supposed to be, like you said, Thursday, then Sunday, then Tuesday. Fucking crazy. Yeah. Jesus. So we didn't have any football on Thanksgiving, so we had to watch ASU and Villanova instead in college basketball, which was interesting. It really makes me wonder, especially about the Steelers, it's like as these games continue to get pushed back, I'm sure this won't be the last time a game is going to have to be pushed back this season. Could we potentially be looking at a scenario where the NFL is going to have to extend the NFL season going forward, maybe by a week or so, give a buffer for rescheduled games between the end of the regular season and the playoffs, specifically for this kind of reason? I think it's going to depend on... The teams that it affects and how many games separates them in the standings, right? Say a team is delayed and they're trying to make up a game late in the season. Say both those teams are two, three games out of the playoffs, and it's not going to make any sense to play that game. The only reason you would play that game would be for draft order. And honestly, the NFL would probably come up with some stupid coin flip to figure out who goes where. So I think it would only matter if it affected teams to make the playoffs. And in a situation like that, then I do think you would see a delay, a week 18 added to the season or even a week 19. Who knows? I wanted to make one late prediction for the NFL segment, and I'm just throwing this out there. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to lose two of their last six games. They're going to finish 14 and two, and the Chiefs are going to go 15 and one, and the Chiefs are going to be the number one seed. That's my prediction. Wow. All right, so we'll have to see how that all plays out. We will keep you guys posted on the NFL. Stay tuned to the channel. We'll keep you posted as all of the latest and greatest news comes out of the National Football League season. We do want to transition into our Sheffield United segment. And since we've been gone, there's been more Sheffield United, of course. Since you've been gone! Yeah. (laughs) There's only been one game because we had the international break and some teams were were called away on international duty. So thank God we only had one week worth of Sheffield United. West Ham comes in to Sheffield to play at Bromel Lane. And just another scenario where I thought we looked pretty good. But the beginning, I thought we had a lot of really good chances. Baldock had a chance in close for Sheffield. I know McBurney, we say this all the time. He had an opportunity that he couldn't put away. I know we're all shocked by that. McBurney sucks. He's he is. A, they spent twenty million dollars just to get this, or twenty million pounds. Sorry, just to get this guy on the team. 
he was okay last year, but this season he sucks. This His guy... job is to score goals, and all he does is miss. <laughs> I would be as productive him out there, and I'm out of shape. I don't know how to fucking play soccer or football, and I could do just as good a job as this guy. Yeah, he's been very, very disappointing. Corbin and I have talked about the possibility of giving other guys opportunities, and we've talked in previous episodes on possibly changing formations. Ultimately, West Ham goes into Bramall Lane and wins one nothing. That's all it takes to beat Sheffield these days is one fucking goal. I had a, a little bit of a, a meltdown on Twitter, on our Twitter account at Slightly Sideway. If you're not following us on Twitter, check it out there. Rightfully but, so. But this team is so indefensible. For the last, Corbin, what has it been? 15 episodes on the show. I've been the one person to be overly optimistic about this team. Oh, you've been defending them. I've been kind of thrown under the bus since... The third game of the season. <laughs> I, I've, I've been like, okay, we're playing a tougher schedule and everything. But they're going to turn it around. We're going to get healthier. Maybe Lee's Bousset comes back into fitness. It sounds like he might be available this weekend. And honestly, like I said in, last, in our last show, in episode 15, do something different. Whatever you're doing right now is not working. If that means you have to start Oliver Burke, who, for whatever reason, doesn't fucking play ever. He doesn't even come off the bench. The fastest play that we have, and that's one of our biggest weaknesses, is our speed compared to other teams is terrible. It's terrible. I would even, at this point, if it means McBurney sits on the bench, I would even let Billy Sharp play. That's how desperate we are. Yes, yes, yes. It's so, so, so frustrating. We wake up early to watch these games. It's just loss after loss after loss. You just hit rewind and press play, and you're just watching the same product every single week. It's just like the meltdown that I had on episode 15. You have to do something different at this point. A quarter of the season is over, and they have one point. One. They have one draw and nine losses. Yeah. And fortunately, they play arguably a worse team tomorrow. In West Brom, Albion, if they don't win, they have to win. They can't fucking tie. No, no draws. They need to win. If they don't win tomorrow, they're fucked. If they don't win tomorrow, they're going to get fucking relegated. If they can't beat West Brom, they can't fucking beat anybody. I'm sorry. Plain and simple. West Brom is arguably the worst team in the Premier League. And that's saying something because, like Corbin said, we have one point, one draw from nine games we're last in the standings now you know you might think like oh well how is west brom the worst team if sheffield's last sheffield's played a lot harder opponents we i will admit we we will admit it's pretty widely accepted that west brom is the worst team in the premier league so just for the sake of the players if they don't win that game the belief starts going out the window right yeah. you start losing that faith you've already played 10 games there's only 28 games left you're again a, more than a quarter of your season has gone by and you've got one point and you're dead last in the standings and you couldn't beat arguably the worst team in the league. It could get ugly. I mean, it's already ugly. It's yeah. really ugly right now. But there is, if you look at the standings, they just have to survive relegation. They need to get to the 17th spot in the standing to not get relegated next year to the division below the Premier League. And it's doable. Yeah. If you look at the points and the teams that are there, if Sheffield were to go on a nice little run, they could dig themselves out of the hole pretty quickly. they, they got to start doing something quick. There's a couple things that I wanted to kind of keep my eye on going forward with Sheffield. The first thing that I think is significant 
is I think there's news out of the English Premier League world in general that fans are going to start being allowed into buildings on December 4th, which is... That can't come soon enough. Yeah, which is a week away. And we've said this for the longest time, that Sheffield is a team that really thrived off of their fans and thrived off of the atmosphere at their home games. The manager, Chris Gaffer, has mentioned that. The players have mentioned that. It's a team that so desperately relies on that energy that the fans give them is that what it will take to turn the season who knows i've been high on lise Mousset. he had a toe injury i think for this entire season so far he's another player who's meant to score goals which is something that we haven't done very well at all and he's fast and he's fast ish will him coming back into the fold you put him up with the signing from liverpool rian brewster Will that be what it takes to start scoring? The hope isn't lost because I think that there are a lot of things coming up that could potentially roll our way to kind of turn our season. We do have several games coming up on our schedule in December that I think are winnable. You have West Brom, that's this weekend. We have Burnley in a few weeks near the end of the month. And I think one other game on there that was very winnable. And you're looking at these five games in December, and this is a situation where when you're Sheffield, when you're having the season that we're having, you really got to win three of them. And that's asking maybe a lot for a team that hasn't won one game. But they suck. But they they're, suck so bad. they're very, very bad right now. Like I said, if you haven't seen our meltdown on Twitter, it's on there. We're going to leave the post up there because I just... I thought West Ham was definitely a game that we had an opportunity to win and we just got more of the same. And so we're frustrated. I know that the players are frustrated. I know that the fans in Sheffield, England are frustrated. So we'll just have to see how it goes. Last point on that. For the first time all year, we actually had more possession, like percentage possession during the game. Sheffield actually held the ball more than West Ham did, which normally it's like 75-25 the other team compared to us. So that was encouraging. That was encouraging. We'll keep you posted. At least tomorrow's game is not at like 4 in the morning. It's For Arizona time, it's 1 o'clock. For Seattle, it's noon. So we don't have to wake up super, super fucking early. <laughs> we, yeah. can, we can sleep in. We can get some lunch, throw that bad boy on there, and hopefully see see the blades take down. I guess they're called the baggies. West Brom baggies. <laughs> the Ziplocs. We yeah. gotta take it to the Ziploc. We'll keep you guys posted. If you're not already, follow us on Twitter at Slightly Sideway. You can catch our thoughts throughout the soccer game. You can catch our thoughts throughout the week as well as the sports news unfolds. We do want to move into everyone's favorite segment, the final segment of our show. This is The Unknown. The Unknown. The Unknown. And this week, it is my opportunity to host The Unknown, if you will. Yeah, boy! (laughs) And my contestant this week, of course, will be my good friend over there, Corbin. And we are going to do a football-themed section of the unknown. On this list, we have 10 notable football players. And of this list, we have five current-day players and five legends of the game. And all Corbin has to do is tell me what college these players played for. We have 10 on the list. Each player comes with a hint. If he guesses the player without the hint, he gets one point. If he requires the conference, 
if he's really struggling on a certain player, I'd be willing to give him the conference. And if he can guess it after the hint, I'll give him a half a point because I think that the conference really narrows it down on a lot of these. So I gotcha. there are 10 players on this list. I think if he can get seven, I would lose. And six, he would lose. I think he'll probably get nine or 10. You're really good with college football. Yeah, not to toot my own horn, and it's probably going to backfire as I say this, but I'm really fucking good at this shit. Um, <laughs> I'll take that. So seven, I win. Yeah, so six, you lose. Six, so six and a half is a push. Sure, that uh, makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, let's do it for sure. Okay, do you want me to go all present day and then all legends or alternate present day legend, present day legend? Alternate for okay. sure. Okay, player number one from the present day. Are you ready? Yes. This first player from present day. Aaron Donald of the Los Angeles Rams. Where did Aaron Donald play his football? Aaron Donald. I know I'm a little bit drunk, but I know this. Hold on. Okay, I know what it is. He played at University of Pittsburgh. Final answer. University of Pittsburgh is correct. Yeah, boy. There See, you I, go. I, the present day players, I think I'm going to run train on it. The legends, that might be a little difficult for me. I think you're going to do pretty good on all of these like i said i know that you know your football we will move into legend player number one are you ready yes all right this player a super bowl champion for the baltimore ravens mr ray lewis oh university of miami hurricanes final answer that is correct <laughs> you can see what's about to happen to Koenig, right? <laughs> All right. All right. So, so far, two. you're two for two. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Moving Ray into... Lewis killed a guy. <laughs> he sure did. And he got away with it. That's shocking. <laughs> Present day player number two. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. This is the wide receiver from the Saints, of course, Mr. Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas played at the Ohio State University, the Buckeyes. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> As you can see, I probably set the bar too low at seven, but that's okay. That's what these tests are for. <laughs> All right. Are right you... But you know, it only takes a couple wrong answers for me to put it right back in that range. So you never know. I'm hoping that some of these legends can kind of tilt the scales for me. So... I'm, I'm worried about the legends. I am worried about the legends. All right. Are you ready for legends player number two? Yes. This is the legend running back from the then San Diego Chargers, now Los Angeles Chargers, Ladanian Tomlinson. He played at TCU, Texas Christian boy. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Damn. Okay, you're absolutely slaughtering this, but that's okay. We'll keep going. He had a 400-yard rushing game in college, which is just, like, mind-blowing. <laughs> Didn't they used to play, like, in the WAC back then? Uh, TCU? Conference USA? Maybe. I think they were Conference USA. I know they're in they the, moved Big to the Big 12 now. I'm pretty. I'm almost certain they were in Conference USA with, like, UTEP and yeah, all the yeah. other... I think it was Conference USA. Okay. So, so far you've got four points. You need two and a half to draw, three to win. Wait, or were they in the Mountain West? They were in the Mountain West for the longest time, but before they went to the Mountain West, they were in another, I think it was the WAC. I want to say oh, it was the WAC. that sounds about right then, yeah. So, the, so then they were never in Conference USA. They were probably, that sounds right, the WAC, the Mountain West, and then they pieced over to the, the Big, 12. Big 12, yeah. Yeah, in the Red Rocket era, Andy Dalton. 
<laughs> so, all right. This is present day player number three. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is, of course, the starting linebacker, injured linebacker for the Denver Broncos, Von Miller. Texas A&M Aggies, boy! <laughs> this is an absolute clinic. <laughs> All right, that's correct. Okay, so you're five for five. I'm actually curious to see if you're going to get all these. I think you might. Oh. Are you ready for your next legend player? Keep them coming. I'm feeling good. This is the legendary tight end. Some people say he's the best tight end in the history of football. Some people say Rob Gronkowski. Others say this guy from the Kansas City Chiefs, Tony Gonzalez. Ooh. Now, this one's tough for me. Tony Gonzalez. I know that I've seen this before. So if I ask for a hint, you'll only give me the conference. I'll give you the conference. Tony Gonzalez. Yeah, see, this this one's tough for me. I'm going to have to ask for the conference. The conference is... I'll give you what the current conference is. Conferences have changed a little bit in name, but the Pac-12. Okay, so he played for a Pac-12 school. <sighs> Really my one <laughs> my hunch this is not my guess my hunch is that he played for usc and i'm pretty confident on that but i'm not too confident on that <laughs> I, that when you told me the conference somehow usc stood out to me i'm going to say usc and i'm like quasi comfortable with that answer i'm gonna say usc final answer USC is incorrect. Oh! The correct answer was the Cal Golden Bears. Shit, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't... I know that sometimes somewhere I had, like, seen or read that, but, like, I'm never really a big Tony Gonzalez fan, to be honest. Like, yeah, he's a great player. Never really captivated me. That's fair. Shit, so I missed one. I was surprised when I looked at some of these because I actually didn't know Tony Gonzalez either. I know pretty much all the present day players, but Tony Gonzalez, I was surprised with Cal. I had no idea on that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so that one, yeah, I had no clue. Okay, so present day player number four, are you ready? I'm ready. So just to recap, hold on. So I'm I'm five for six? Five for six. Okay. got four okay. players gotcha. left. You got to get two out of the next four to win. You could really get hints on all four of these and still win. <laughs> okay. I don't want to do that if I can help it. All right. Fair enough. The next player is the starting tight end for your Kansas City Chiefs, Travis Kelsey. He was a Cincinnati Bearcat. Final answer. Cincinnati Bearcats is correct. Yeah. yeah. Damn. <laughs> all right. I remember because I like to follow like those like mid majors, like the Cincinnati's of the world. And I remember when he was coming out, People were really fucking repping him. And a lot of people were dogging him like, oh, he played at Cincinnati. How good can he be? And he's a fucking pretty, stud. <laughs> yeah, pretty fucking good. Yeah. All right. Legend player number four. This is the legend, of course, for the Detroit Lions, Mr. Barry Sanders. He was a Oklahoma State cowboy. All right. Well. Corbin won the bet on the unknown this week, but we'll we'll play it out. We'll finish these last two in case you're following along at home. Oklahoma State's correct, by the way. So you've got you've got seven out of eight correct, which okay. is 
pretty fucking good for how much we've been drinking. Are you ready for oh, your yeah. final present day player? Yes. Phoenix down in his beard getting ready for the finale. <laughs> <laughs> this is the stud wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, DK Metcalf. He was an old Miss Rebel. <laughs> I set the bar way too low. Old Miss is correct. <laughs> well, once you said like, "Oh, name the college," I was like, I could probably get like nine or ten of these. Like, I yeah. was pretty fucking confident in my, especially the present day players. Like, no doubt, I was gonna yeah. get those. I didn't want to stack it too hard against you and, and like make it seem like impossible, but I knew going in, I was like, "Okay, you're gonna do pretty good on this." <laughs> All right, so you've got eight out of nine going into your final legend player to get nine out of ten which would be pretty fucking impressive are you ready yes sir this is of course the legend of the minnesota vikings quarterback brett Favre. i mean green bay packers (laughs) (laughs) your new york jets (laughs) yeah brett favre he played at the southern miss golden eagles wow that is that's correct (laughs) <laughs> nine out of ten wow well done man jesus oh yeah that's i'm a huge college football fan so i follow you know the most obscure teams and i think it's fascinating to see like where these like stars came from so you know even if it's a player in the nfl that i maybe missed in college i like to do like a little bit of research to kind of see where they came from where they got drafted if they got drafted I, especially in, in situations like like a brett Favre, like a mississippi kid who comes out of southern miss which is not really a big time football program and of course you know hall of fame quarterback at the time when he retired he had a bunch of passing records which he might still have some. I know, like, his touchdowns. He's got the most interceptions thrown. I know that. Yeah. Um, Koenig, I think Koenig hit me with one of those questions in a previous unknown section. But yes. the Tony Gonzalez, yeah, that one, when you asked the question, I was thinking California. Like, not Cal, but the state of California. He kind of looks, um, I don't I don't know if this is terrible. Does, he looks kind of Polynesian, doesn't he? Tony Gonzalez yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So... I don't know what it is, but like you see players like, you know, Troy Palamalu. And for some reason, like there's like there's a decent amount of like Polynesian players that go through USC. Or maybe it's just like that I've just picked up on. So I thought, oh, yeah, USC, Tony Gonzalez. But oh, well, I will forever now know that Tony Gonzalez played at Cal. Yeah, there you go. All right. So I've got my uh, debt to be paid. I, I ran out of my caskmates Irish whiskey. So I've got my go to trader joe's versatile spirit vodka this has been a uh, a staple on the channel dating all the way back to episode one if you can believe that <laughs> so uh i've got my shot lined up here it's probably closer to two shots but that's okay i'll down this real quick Ugh. not good <laughs> so uh yeah what would Corbin... you give so what would you give your rating for your drinks because you had two different ones right yeah, so I went the simpler times lager. This is the second time that I've had this on our show. Kind of cleaning out the fridge. Full disclosure, person I work with who I don't particularly care for, their last day is this next week. Hell so, yeah, one week from today. So Corbin and I are going to have a little bit of a, a rager <laughs> in celebration because... This person has just made my life pretty miserable. That's what we're going to be doing next weekend. But I wanted to clean out the fridge, all the stuff that was left over from pre-Thanksgiving. So 
This is simpler times logger. It's 6.2%, if you can believe that, which is kind of hard to believe. Usually, yeah, lighter shit. beers, you have a little lighter than that. Yeah, like 4.5% yeah. usually, maybe 5 Yeah, so this is up there. It did the job, but I think I gave this like a 4.6 on our last show, and you know what? After having it a second time, I'll go one step higher. I'm going to give this a 4.7 out of 5 stars. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm drinking Coors Light. Like, you know, for anybody who's drank beer, you've probably drank a Coors Light, right? So <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna rank this for what it is, right? Like, it's a, it's, so it's a light beer. It's a cheap light beer. And honestly, Coors Light is probably my favorite cheap light beer as far as like the major brands, you know, Coors Miller. Bud Lights, you know, Natty Lights. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's really easy to drink. It doesn't really have a ton of flavor, but it doesn't really bother me too much. I mean, if you're just looking to get fucking drunk quick, like Coors Light's the way to go. I give Coors a solid four out of five. You know, it's not like amazing, but for a light beer, I think it's, I think it's really good. It's easy to drink and it doesn't really have like a bitter aftertaste or anything. It's just, it's smooth. You know what the best is about Coors Light is you can go and get like a 30 rack at the store for like $20. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah, just it's cheap. Giving it away. And so. I, I honestly think, I think it's like one of the best branded. I mean, the can where the, where the mountains turn blue. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. I know, you know, it, it sounds like childish, but it's fucking cool. Like, I'm sorry. Like it's, that's like a neat feature, you know, like, it's just it's just different, right? And the can itself is it's silver, it's sleek, the red Coors lettering, like it just looks sharp. It looks great in that buffs glass, by the way. Hell yeah, the CU <laughs> Buffs. This is my honorary team. I'm a so well. First of all, I'm a lumberjack fan, but they're not playing right now. So Arizona State because I grew up an Arizona State fan pretty much ever since I was born. And my honorary team is the CU Buffs, just because I really like Colorado, and I think Boulder's a cool town. And I, had, I actually had a teammate in high school who got a scholarship to play football at CU and later became a defensive captain for them. So That's pretty cool. You know, I, yeah, so it's, you know, the, the Buffs are, are like my honorary team right now, so... Skull buffs. There you go. And I also want to rate just real quickly. Uh, I had the Trader Joe's Versatile Spirit Vodka. This has been on the program before. I've had it in my vodka cranberries. I've had several shots of this to uh, my detriment over the past uh, 15, 16 episodes. But this Trader Joe's Vodka, I, I'm telling you guys right now, Trader Joe's, you know, we've mentioned you on our program now several times without any compensation. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> Uh, this product, I, I'm telling you, if you see it at Trader Joe's, this is a must get. If you are a vodka fan and you know, vodka is not for everybody. I understand that. But if you're someone who likes to just have a mixed drink, maybe you put it in orange juice. Maybe you put it in, I don't know, your cranberries. Maybe you put it with, I don't know what else do they put in Gatorade. Maybe people put it in their Gatorade. I don't know. Probably some sick son of a bitch does it. Seriously. But <laughs> if you see this at Trader Joe's, the versatile spirit vodka, 80 proof, it's in the tall bottle. It, it's very, very good. I'll give it a 4.5 out of 5. Very smooth to drink. It's distilled from grapes rather than the uh, usual, I think it's potatoes, right? Yes. It, it drinks a little bit more like a wine than a vodka. It still has that little bit of a bitter vodka aftertaste, but very, very is it, good. Is it, is it, is it Siraki? Because Ciroc is from grapes as well. Yeah, it does. It does taste like a cheaper version of Ciroc. Ciroc is like very smooth, and that's like thirty dollars a bottle at, at Bevmo. But 
This is a little bit cheaper than that, and you get that cheaper kind of edge to it. It's not as smooth, but it's still, I think, very good. 4.5 out of 5. But that is all we have for you on tonight's <laughs> episode 16 of the show. It's Corbin Tonson's CU Buffs class. We do have yeah. new episodes coming for you. I know that we've talked about this in previous shows. We're probably going to cut it back to every other week. We don't want to inundate you guys with a show just for the sake of recording a show. We want to make sure that we're still giving you guys the quality that you're expecting from our program. So we hope that you've enjoyed this one. If you're not already following us on Twitter, give us a follow at Slightly Sideway and keep up with all of our sports takes throughout the week. If you are on Spotify, you can follow our show at Slightly Sideways Podcast. If you have any feedback for our show, what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? Any ideas that you'd like us to go over in future episodes of the show, you can email us at slightlysidewayspod at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed tonight's show on YouTube, and you're enjoying all of the previous episodes, give us a like on this video. Comment down below what your favorite segment was. If you have any ideas for future segments, you can leave those in the comments as well. And do be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode going forward. I've been your host, Koenig, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Corbin. Say goodnight to the people, Corbin. To all my sweets out there, good morning, and I hope you have a great day. Good night, everyone.